Okay, so today we're going to take time to do another prophecy brief uh, called Things to Watch. We do these periodically as uh, as events unfold on the ever-changing geopolitical landscape, um, uh, globally, politically, economically, all these different things that basically lend themselves toward moving the world in a very particular direction, which I would argue is the direction that the Bible says that we will be going in the days leading up to Christ's return. If you've been following our podcast, you know that I am someone who takes the scriptures at, as 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 often as humanly possible, taking the scriptures at face value, uh, not spiritualizing, except where there's very clearly a metaphor in view or uh, an allegory or something like that. But by and large, I take the scriptures just plainly. Uh, so, for example, when we talk about the last days, uh, I really do think there's going to be a 70th week of Daniel, seven-year period of time in which the uh, tribulation unfolds, the last half of that period of time being known as the Great Tribulation that ultimately culminates in the return of Christ to establish a literal kingdom here on the earth in fulfillment to his promises to Israel, and that kingdom will last a thousand years, as is mentioned like six times in that passage there in Revelation chapter 20. And so, um, that just as an example, I take the, the scriptures first and foremost, just plainly as they're written. And so that being said, that I believe allows us, if we take that perspective, to take a look at what's going on in the world around us and to see how the ball is moving forward to bring us to those things that the scriptures describe. Uh, now, I, what I don't believe is that we should be looking at what's going on in the world and forcing it into the text. However, where the text gives us a sense of what's going on in those days, we can look at what's going on outside and see if it lines up. Now, again, we, don't, uh, we, we, we do our best not to get super dogmatic about certain events that are happening today uh, and saying this is for sure what this is, unless it's, you know, one day we'll be able to do that. Uh, you know, setting aside the timing of the rapture, I think that it will be possible, let me put it that way, for those who have a Bible in hand to look at what's going on around them and recognize an Antichrist has come on the scene. Uh, we'll recognize that an image has been breathed life into by the false prophet, that two witnesses will arrive on the scene at a point during that seven-year period of time. Um, and those events will be able to be seen clearly for what they are, reading the text plainly. And that, that, again, that helps understand where I'm coming from and where I would, I would urge you to be coming from. I think it's, it's always better to start by taking the text at face value before we move into, or before we ever um, uh, uh, choose to see it as allegory or to spiritualize the text. There are clearly allegories and metaphors in Scripture. There's no doubt about that. But I, as a general rule, we don't assume that certain kinds of biblical literature, like apocalyptic literature, like prophecy, um, necessarily has to be seen that way. I think that, uh, by and large, most of that can still be seen at face value and be taken for what the text actually says, and that's the perspective I take. So that being said, we're going to look at a handful of topics today um, in relation to um, understanding where we land on the uh, unfolding prophetic timetable right now. And so or landscape at least. And so that being said, uh, I want to start by talking about uh, the G20 meeting that took place in Bali recently. Um, they have put forth a declaration and have come, uh, um, have, have come together on a number of ideas. Uh, 52 of them are enumerated in the Bali declaration. Uh, <coughs> but I'm only going to really talk about a couple of elements there. I'll have a link to that declaration in the notes section so you can go ahead and read it yourself. I mean, it'll take you a good 20 minutes to read through this whole thing, but it's worth doing, just so you can understand 
what these uh, this group of 20, which is what G20 stands for, these 20 uh, major industrial nations uh, around the world, um, by and large, they're mostly major nations, uh, economically and politically speaking, on the global landscape that have come together to address various issues that are going on globally right now. Now, I will say, uh, and we've spoken often about this topic, this initiative called the Great Reset. I'll mention it a couple times today, but I'll start right off the top by mentioning that this G20 summit, uh, in, in, in all of its topics that it covered, uh, very clearly touches on all five of the major pillars um, within the Great Reset movement. And so it is, uh, and I don't say that because they specifically um, set out the Great Reset as their agenda, but what I am saying, though, is that all of these different meetings and gatherings of global leaders are all increasingly coalescing around this idea of changing our entire structure of how we function as a global society. And so these are not individual meetings that just take place that are somehow disconnected. They're actually all quite connected, and I think it's important to recognize that. So that being said, uh, just a couple of things I'll mention about the G20. Again, you can read this declaration yourself. Um, But there is a very strong, very clearly, overtly strong globalist language throughout it. The idea of an assumed working together of nations around the world to accomplish global purposes. Um, Now, almost 200 countries, by the way, uh, gathered at the COP27 meeting that took place. We'll briefly mention that uh, uh, toward the end. We've mentioned that in a podcast of its own. But almost 200 nations, I think it was 195 or 198 nations uh, gathered for COP27, leaders and representatives from these countries. Um, well, in the G20, it was 20 of the, the, the more um, prominent industrialized nations gathered uh, to deal with some of these things that um, touch on some of the same areas that the COP27 uh, meeting dealt with. COP27 is more predominantly an environmentally focused meeting. But even within the G20, the environment was an enormous topic of discussion, uh, and it, 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 it's, it settles into a significant amount of the declarations that they made here uh, as a result of these meetings. Um, climate change, a big, big topic uh, in there, and you can read, again, a number of different elements that are spoken of in regard to um, greenhouse and, and emissions and things like this, and how do we, as, as the industrialized nations, come together to combat this. Um, uh, I will mention one other thing here as we kind of quickly move through this. Uh, again, I'll leave it to you to read these things. As a quick uh, insertion here, uh, my intention is, again, not to do this in a newscast format kind of thing. There are some other uh, folks that do those kinds of things that are really helpful and I think uh, can be useful to watch. My intention is a little different, and that is to provide you with sort of a um, a survey of some of these things and then provide you resources to dig in yourself. It's important to me that you learn, uh, that we all learn. I don't want to sound like I'm telling you how to learn, but I think it's important that we all basically learn how to do research like this on our own and start to develop trusted resources and sites. And, and most of those, by the way, should be the horse's mouth. We should be going directly to the sources that are putting these things out. Like, for example, the Bali 20 Declaration, you can go to the G20 website, you can find that stuff. Uh, the World Economic Forum, you can learn all about the Great Reset from them, as well as other writers as well. Um, but you always want to go to the primary primary sources first. And so I'm going to put links to some of these down there to give you a starting point to begin to do some of the research on that. Um, But I'll mention one other thing here. Um, um, The idea that um, uh, COVID-19, even though in many respects there is talk as though COVID-19 is sort of 
I won't say over, but essentially the talk is such where it's not what it once was. You should recognize, you'd be wise to recognize that COVID-19 is not going anywhere. Uh, They are still talking about COVID-19 and the impact of it. Um, the response to it, the the uh, the crushing nature of of this pandemic on global economies and social settings, and uh, and even the way we approach governance and response to it, and that kind of thing. Uh, there is there is mention within this discussion on on still responding to COVID nineteen, including the idea of of um, whether it's COVID nineteen or adding other uh, like flu pandemics or other pandemic related kinds of things. There is in this declaration, or among these 52 declarations, it's declaration number 23, very clearly speaks about the idea of utilizing technology like vaccination passports uh, to help uh, regulate international travel and all these kinds of things. And also, by the way, um, in connection with um, developing a global health system uh, and the like. And so when you read through these things, you'll find... As you make your way through, by about the midway point, you are very clearly moving into territory where they are talking about how to um, manage on a global scale, um, uh, global health and all these kinds of things. And that would include things like vaccination passports and such. As a matter of fact, on that note, um, Dr. Fauci uh, just exited, I think today actually may have been his last day, uh, here on Wednesday the 23rd. um, this, I think, is his last day. He's done, I think, by Thanksgiving, I believe. But he did his, his uh, last press conference at the White House yesterday and um, um, put in another plug for getting vaccinated and boosted and testing for COVID before <coughs> before you get together for Thanksgiving meetings and all that kind of thing. Uh, and actually, other health officials in our government have also kind of uh, put it in full-throated endorsements of those kinds of policies. Um, the idea of masking is not completely off the table. Uh, it, it, it would not surprise me as, as we get into the new year, if we once again begin to see sort of a buildup to those things. I don't know that, and I hope that's not the case, but um, but I would be ready for that kind of thing. Um, and again, it's, it's worth pointing out before we move on that there is uh, there are ever-growing and increasing calls for global governance. Um, you know, So when we talk about these nations coming together and working in cooperation in the midst of those conversations, there are more than just whisperings of the idea that there would be value in having a global government. As a matter of fact, uh, recently, uh, even Emmanuel Macron has spoken of this very, very openly. We need to have a one world government, a new world order, a new way of doing things. Uh, Klaus Schwab, of course, the World Economic Forum, speaking very openly about this kind of idea on a number of different occasions using that very terminology. So again, this is not the stuff of conspiracy theories. And just, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, when we look at scripture and see um, how the world will come together, I'm going to point to an extreme example of this uh, in Revelation chapter 17, where there is mention of a period of time when the Antichrist is in power, and this is just before uh, Christ returns uh, in, in Revelation 19. We see here right before the fall of Babylon the Great. I'll just go ahead and read verses uh, 9 through, uh, oh, let's just say um, 13. Just uh, again, you can read the whole chapter, but let me go ahead and just read verses 9 through 13 of chapter 17 of the book of Revelation. Here is the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains, 
on which the woman sits, and these also are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going into perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings, who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. The idea being that even though we can try to surmise who these nations might be, there seems to be the indication that they may arise to prominence during that period of time when the Antichrist is on the scene and is running the show. And in, in connection with that, in verse 13, it goes on to say, these are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. The idea of their governments ultimately coming together, uh, even in this last hour. Now, prior to this, there will be a system in place, we see in Revelation 13, that revolves around the idea of the Antichrist not only being the head of a political and economic global structure, but even a religious global structure, uh, as the mark of the beast revolves around not just buying and selling, but also it is a mark of allegiance to the beast himself, or the Antichrist, as we call him variously. So, uh, again, when we talk about the Bali Declaration, when we talk about any of these other meetings, maybe the World Economic Forum in Davos, or their ongoing work, um, any of these summits that have to do with nations of the world coming together to solve these global problems, on the one hand, we would naturally think, well, sure, this is good. It's wise to have the countries come together to try and solve problems that have no borders. You know, like uh, that was one of the big things when COVID came on the scene is that COVID knows no borders. Uh, in other words, everybody's affected by this. And therefore, they would say, if, 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 if not everybody is safe, then nobody is safe. And that's why they would push the vaccinations. Um, even uh, in in recent days, there's discussion of those who are the unvaccinated are really the problem, you know, and they're causing issues for those who are vaccinated, which, of course, is kind of silly to think. If you're vaccinated, you should be safe, right? So, but anyway, that's another whole can of worms. But um, but these are tools to bring the world together, all doing the same thing as instructed. And this is the key point as instructed by some global entity. Now, that global entity is not fully formed yet. But the philosophy behind that is being cultivated every single day as these things unfold and as nations continue to come together under the auspices of solving global problems and in the course of that, handing over their national sovereignty to global organizations in an effort to combat those global problems. This is where it gets murky and muddy. This is where the questions about um, losing national sovereignty for the sake of coming under the umbrella of a global entity uh, really begin to start taking form. So these are things to be watching for. There is language to be listened for, uh, to be paying attention. Now, we don't want to over-sensationalize. We don't want to jump to conclusions. We want to read. We want to watch. We want to listen. We want to keep our nose in the scriptures. And, 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 in const and these things all coming together formulate a reasonable view of what's going on around us. Um, so that being said, that's the G20 uh, Bali uh, meeting and the declaration that was produced by it. Let me continue to move on now to the next topic. And that's kind of a, a jump in a different direction, but it's it's an enormously significant element that is taking place here in the United States. And this is the codifying in our Congress, uh, or the near codifying now, uh, we are near to putting into law the idea of, of, uh, of recognizing same-sex marriage on a national scale. At the moment, 
uh, we are still operating under the uh, Defense of Marriage Act that was signed back in the Clinton era <coughs> that recognized marriage as being between a man and a woman. However, in the current course of things, um, the um, Respect for Marriage Act, uh, number 8404, bill number 8404 that has gone through the House uh, of Representatives into our other House of Congress, the upper house, and that would be the Senate, uh, it passed pretty handily in the House of Representatives and the vote to uh, to move this bill forward in the Senate for a vote, uh, that vote, uh, the vote to move it forward for discussion and ultimately a vote, passed in the Senate um, pretty handily as well. Uh, and so there were even, as a matter of fact, 10 Republicans who voted yay on moving this bill forward for discussion and then finally to a vote. Uh, the president, uh, President Biden, is is calling for the Senate to move quickly on this and to get the bill onto his desk. However, uh, the machines of government move slowly. And so if the Senate, uh, who is still working on the bill uh, uh, and changing some of the wording, will have to then send it back to the House. Uh, normally, by the way, it's it's not uncommon for a bill at that point to die. This one, however, will not die. It will go back to the House. The House will likely sign the bill that the Senate uh, has sent back to them. Um, and, uh, and then it will go to the president's desk probably sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, the vote will not take place till after Thanksgiving, but at, at that point, I would imagine it will move through relatively quickly. And, and before, uh, the Christmas holiday break, it is, it's likely that they will have taken a vote on it. And it is highly probable that all of the states, um, in the union will end up having to recognize, uh, same sex marriage. Now, one of the, um, one of the elements in this that is, I think rather dastardly and nefarious is the fact that they are equating same-sex marriage with interracial marriage, and they're calling it the Respect of Marriage Act, recognizing uh, and 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 sort of putting into law that all the states need to recognize not only same-sex marriage but also interracial marriage. We already recognize interracial marriage. There's no reason that that needs to be there. That's not an issue for any state. Every state recognizes interracial marriage. However, there is sort of a, again, dastardly sort of approach in this, a very um, deceitful kind of thing, to sort of equate same-sex marriage with interracial marriage, as if they were the same kind of thing. Um, They're not. But to vote against this bill would imply that you're voting against interracial marriage, which is a completely ludicrous thing. Um, And I'm not saying there's nobody in the United States that's so racist they wouldn't want to see interracial marriage, but that is not really a problem for virtually anybody in the entire country, nor should it be. Same-sex marriage, on the other hand, is a very different kind of a thing. Um, And let me just take a moment here to interject why it is that biblically we would stand against the idea of same-sex marriage. And I do stand against that. I don't think that's a valid expression of what God had in mind for marriage at all, nor should it be seen as a legitimate form of marriage in our day. Um, In in, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul takes time to talk about marriage. Um, And of course, a discussion on marriage, everybody gets hung up on the wives, uh, submit to your husbands and all this kind of thing. There's a whole... there's a need to recognize that passage in the context in which it was given and to understand uh, what is being said there. But my key point here is that Paul mentions in verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 5 that as he's using marriage, uh, discussing marriage, he's using it as a model of something spiritual and quite profound. He says, behold, I'm discussing this in terms of a mystery, but I speak of the church and of Christ. 
In other words, marriage is given as an example of the relationship between Christ, the bridegroom, and the church, the bride of Christ. And so, therefore, any distortion of that model that God has given for marriage, which is not just for the the joy of a husband and wife coming together, it's not just for the procreation of the you know and and, and uh, creating you know more people for you know the human race and that kind of thing is is the natural course of things in marriage uh, through intimacy and that kind of thing, but it also has this very lofty. Um, model that's in view here. And that is the idea of the picture of Christ and his bride, the church. Uh, And so when we distort that model and we start changing what that looks like, we're actually confusing something that God has given to be a representation of the relationship uh, that his people have with him. And so um, so we we stand against it because God did not create marriage to be between same-sex couples. He created it to be between a man and a woman. Now, in the bill, uh, there is language there, that, uh, or at least there's purported language. It'll be interested to see what the language looks like when the bill finally is signed into law. But because there was a push uh, back on, on the part of, uh, of, of the church and of, and of other religious you know, people as well, um, there, there are provisions in there for 501c3 religious entities to not have to provide facilities or services or anything for same-sex couples. And so a church at the current stage of the bill, if it were law today, would mean that we don't have to perform same-sex marriages. Uh, As a point of, um, uh, as as just a point, I don't perform them and I won't perform them. And so, uh, nor should any church. This is not something that God sanctions and, and churches that do are in violation of scripture. And that needs to be clearly stated. That doesn't mean we hate homosexuals or we hate same-sex people, uh, couples and that kind of thing. But we need to recognize that loving same-sex couples doesn't mean disobeying God. And so uh, that being said, but the codifying of same-sex marriage in American culture is another massive step toward undermining uh, the, um, some of the, the, the fundamental principles that have established this nation that is a nation that was intended to be under God, but now we are basically saying under God as we see him as opposed to who he actually is. And so, uh, but that being said, this is uh, something that you want to be paying attention to. This will likely, uh, should it be signed into law, uh, and we, um, and we um, now validate um, on a nationwide scale um, gay marriage, I think, I think we can expect to see that, um, that, the, that our deterioration will just pick up speed at that point. I'm going to move on to the next topic here, uh, transhumanism, or as I'm calling it, transhumanism and slash dehumanism. Uh, there's a story that came out very recently where there is now a, a discussion and, and an idea that's been put forth, and there's likely some technology that's being developed behind it um, that is, uh, has to do with the idea of incubators that are designed to act as a womb uh, in which uh, a fetus could be brought to full maturity. Uh, and it is put forth as a way to basically have a pregnancy go to full term outside the, the mother's actual womb. Uh, and it's, it's, it's spoken of uh, in terms like this. It provides for uh, a child to be uh, basically uh, brought to full term outside the mother's womb so that the mother can live a normal life while the child is developing. Um, now, recognize again, I've said this kind of thing a couple times already, but I'll mention it again, and I think probably will at least one more time, but recognize the language there. The idea of, of a child developing outside the mother's womb so the mother can live a normal, quote-unquote, normal life 
while the child is developing, outside of her. As if a child developing in the womb, or as if a woman carrying a child is not normal. Now, it's a subtle thing. It's a subtle thing. And there are other applications for this, as, you know, for this technology as well. Like if a baby is premature, it is possible to maybe de- deliver the child that's premature, let him uh, or her uh, be put into one of these incubators and go to full term and then be born without some of the potential risks that could, be, uh, that could accompany premature birth. Okay, well, that, that's pretty great. That would be a great thing. Um, and, and there may even be other applications that are legit and beautiful even. But to, to sort of talk about child rearing, and, and actually, I'll, I'll put a link to the video that, des- that describes this. Uh, it's like watching The Matrix, actually. It's really bizarre the way that they have like these, you know, this whole field of, of incubators full of babies developing in this kind of thing. And then they've got these little drones flying around, sort of checking on them and that kind of thing. It's, 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 it's very dystopian looking, even though it's presented in bright colors and this kind of thing. But just you'll watch it and you could, you know, kind of come to your own conclusions on that. But, um, but the idea that, um, that, that a pregnancy gets in the way of a mother living a normal life. This, of course, is one of the arguments for abortion. Well, now this isn't abortion per se, but it's now sort of a technologically driven uh, opportunity for women to sort of live a normal life, but still have babies and that kind of thing. Um, You can come to your own conclusions on whether or not that's a good or bad thing. I personally don't see it as a great thing because I think it robs mothers of that beautiful gift that they've been given in carrying that child to term. Um... Uh, and go and experiencing the emotions and, uh, and and the highs and lows of 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 the process of carrying that child and delivering that child at the ninth month. Um, there's something that's lost. There's a reductionism that takes place in what it means to be human uh, in terms of the carrying of and delivering of that baby. And and actually, I would mention too that in that uh, uh, in that video, there is discussion about producing a human being from scratch. Uh, now they can't do that yet. Supposedly, I mean, I, I would I would assume that when they say they can't do it yet, uh, that they can't. But the fact that those ideas are carried along with this technology is something that should cause us to to, to have some sense of alarm about these things and to be just watching. Now, the idea of transhumanism or the idea of developing human beings um, is something that kind of lines right in with the fourth industrial revolution that we've spoken about. And by the way, I've mentioned. Uh, some of these books in the past, I've got a little stack here if you want to see them, but um, I would recommend reading some of these things. Again, things like The Fourth Industrial Revolution by Klaus Schwab or The Great Reset, um, uh, the COVID-19 and The Great Reset, uh, where he speaks about this great opportunity, this closing window of opportunity we have, um, this brief window of opportunity we have uh, to remake the world as we come out of the COVID pandemic and that kind of thing. And that, well, that process, that initiative is still moving forward, even though it would appear that COVID is becoming less of a resource to draw upon for that. They're still holding on to it uh, very vociferously and in, in the, the, with the desire to, you know, use that as a platform to launch from. Um, but these are things that we want to familiarize ourselves with. We want to read. I've said in the past, I'll continue to say in the future. Uh, a couple other things here we'll cover. I mentioned COP27 uh, a little while ago um, in regard to the addressing global greenhouse uh, things and the environment being uh, one of the five pillars of the Great Reset that that ultimately, um, and I, w- I would actually argue that the environment is likely the premier pillar of the five pillars. 
um, that is most driving the Great Reset initiative. And the reason for that is because the environment touches on all the other four pillars as well, not the least of which is the economy and the global economies. Um, There was the COP27 meeting, talked about the G20 meeting, uh, COP27 just ended as well. And one of the things that they came out of this with, and again, I'm going to um, um, include a link to this article, but I'll pull it up here and just read just a little bit of it or just skim it for a second. But there is mention here of how these nearly 200 countries finally secured an agreement on Sunday to create a new fund to compensate poor nations for the loss and damage they're experiencing as a result of extreme weather worsened by climate change. And as the article goes on, this is from CNBC, uh, a source that I do uh, like to kind of listen to or watch from time to time, and just as they explain various you know things like the COP27 meeting and that. Um, they also do um, uh, discussions on the Davos meetings when they happen and all of this. Well, um, here there's mention, and we've mentioned it again in the previous COP27 post uh, uh, about a week ago, um, the idea of climate reparations, the idea of preparing in advance a fund to, uh, which I think they're expecting to have something like, uh, you know, some hundreds of billions of dollars in, to provide funds to underdeveloped nations or poorer nations um, to help them offset the damage, the loss and damage, again, quote unquote, that they would suffer at the hands of the larger industrial nations that are causing climate change. So as we said in the previous post on this, these are decisions being made on a global level. Now, again, there's not a single global entity, at least not one that is you know, presented itself as being that global entity yet. But there are a number of them, like the World Health Organization, the International Monetary Fund, just to name a couple, the World Economic Forum, to name another. Um, and, and, there are, and there are others as well. Matter of fact, when you read some of these articles and stuff, you'll see initiatives and acronyms. Acronyms are flying like crazy throughout these, uh, these documents. Um, and it, it's helpful to, to look up the organizations that are spoken of in this, just to get a, a, round, a more rounded sense of, of the connections of these things. But the idea of, of, on a global level, decisions being made about how national economies are now going to have to budget for contributing to this loss and damage fund. Um, this, this is the result of putting uh, climate reparations at the top of the agenda for COP27. This is something that Klaus Schwab, again, with the uh, World Economic Forum, uh, was gleeful about the fact that this topic, finally, uh, after roughly 30 years of smaller nations calling for this kind of thing, uh, finally now it's reached the top of the, the agenda and was discussed, uh, and, and a decision was made. Uh, and now nations like the United States, for example, uh, uh, will have to now bear the brunt financially for those things. Now, this is a whole other discussion, but notice the moral ought behind all of this and behind what has generally been seen as a largely secular movement. Um, Well, this ought that has been created here, uh, and we talked about this on our Wednesday Night Prophecy Update last week, um, this ought that has emerged within this secular movement has drawn the emotional connection of so many religious people around the world, including denominations uh, uh, and, 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 and religions and, and religious leaders have come on board and spoken about our need to address these things from a spiritual standpoint. As a matter of fact, Rick Warren, I think, was on 
I saw a video of a 2008 uh, World Economic Forum meeting where they talked about the environment and this kind of thing and the role that the church is supposed to play in this, you know, uh, as again, as Rick Warren mentioned. Um, uh, well, there's, you know, we need to recognize that, sure, we should be good stewards of the world that God has given us because it's the only world we have, right? But at the same time, we need to recognize that this world is, in fact, um, not our ultimate home. And it becomes... On the one hand, again, yes, we should be good stewards of the earth, you know, just on a basic level, right? But on the other hand, we should recognize that it can become a major distraction and pull us off what our ultimate mission is as the church. Uh, and that is to seek and uh, search out for the lost, right? The idea that we're on a search and rescue mission, that the idea is that people need to be brought into a right relationship with God because one day this world is going to end as the scriptures have spoken of. Um, there, there are, you know, a series of judgments that we see in the book of Revelation that God will bring upon the earth sometime in the near future, presumably. I, I don't think we're far from that happening. I don't live, uh, uh, I mean, I live in the constant expectancy of going to see the Lord. Um, but I'm not saying that the sky is falling tomorrow, but it's going to one day, right? I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. And so the church has a very particular mission here on this, on this earth, and it's not a globalist agenda. It is, in fact, another world agenda. Uh, and, and so we have a coming king that one day is going to establish his kingdom here on this earth um, after those judgments come, that come by his hand. And so these are uh, things that we just want to, again, as, as believers in Christ, Bible-believing followers of Jesus, that we, rec- that we see these things in their proper context and that we recognize what our context is within that. What is it we're called to do as ambassadors for Christ in this day? Well, one... Um, um, uh, one more thing I'll talk about here in, in relation to these things is another one we've mentioned in the past, but I'll mention it again because we're growing closer and closer to the day when this is implemented. And this is the idea of the FedNow system that is looked, uh, they're looking to roll it out, uh, by July, roughly about the end of July of 2023, which is like, you know, eight months from now. Uh, eight, nine months from now. And so sometime within the next three quarters, uh, we will begin to see a system put out there as a pilot program that will allow for instantaneous payments any time of the day or night uh, that will fundamentally change some of the elements and require a fundamental change, by the way, of of a lot of the very old systems that currently di- electronically function undergirding our economic system today. This is a move to take a, a, a essentially a quantum leap forward in not only our practices, but also in terms of the equipment that is used, the technology that is used. Um, there will be a move technologically forward to allow for a system that allows for instantaneous payments any time of the day or night. And it is seen as a pretty major stepping stone toward moving toward a uh, an American central bank digital currency, um, which is essentially a blockchain technology that is managed by the government. Uh, it is a system that will be in place that will that will um, that will keep a record of all digital transactions. This is one of the reasons. Uh, this is one of the technologies that underlies the cryptocurrency world, the idea that transactions are not managed by a, a government entity, but rather are managed by a series of computers that are sort of outside of the current economic system. That's the appeal, by the way, is that they're not regulated by a, a, a national government, but are regulated by the system itself and the, and the users of that system. 
Well, the 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 Fed now system and the central bank digital currency system, and and this would be true of any of the central bank digital currency systems that exist in the world today, we're kind of we're not the front runners on this technology. Actually, China's utilizing it to a far greater degree. Other nations are starting to implement it. At one point, something either either CBDC uh, or something like it, central bank digital currency, something like it will become the next uh, the next evolution of how economics globally work. The reason that's important, and the reason I connect, I'm using it as a dot to connect, is because one day that system will be completely interwoven globally. There may be central bank digital currencies that are managed by national entities, but they will one day become part of a system that is managed by a global entity. And that system will one day uh, come under the auspices of the beast in Revelation 13. Again, we mentioned the idea of the mark of the beast and how it is both in a mark of allegiance, but it is also um, the fund, the foundations for entering into this global economic system so that you can buy and sell. There will be black markets during that time, like there always have been. But during that day, by and large, the global economy will be run on this system. And so as these things unfold, watch what's going on. We mentioned that um, um, the New York uh, Fed was going to be moving toward, toward a digital currency, putting a pilot program out for that. Um, this FedNow program is one that will be piloted out eventually on a national level. It'll be worked out so that it becomes part of our national economy. Um, the, the jury's out as to whether or not we'll go completely cashless or not, but I would suspect that over time we would. Uh, it will become easier to manage transactions that are done purely completely on a digital level rather than exchanging actual dollars. This will be both ease of use regarding an economic system, but it also will likely have something to do with germs uh, being transferred on coinage and dollar bills and that kind of thing. Um, uh, likely, uh, you know, sort of under the COVID thing. Well, if we don't have to, you know, if we can just use our phones and just digitally scan something, that's a whole lot safer and healthier than germs just moving from person to person to person on a physical currency. Um, that that probably will have something to do with the encouragement to move toward the system. So that being said, that is, again, that is something that we're likely, unless something hiccups along the way, that's something we'll likely see put in place uh, that will be already working and functioning by this time next year. Uh, so that's not down the road somewhere. That's not something that's nebulous and out there in this global thing. This is something that will happen here in the United States in the next nine months uh, from what they are saying. And so uh, you can watch that. It's, again, it's called the FedNow system. And that, again, is part of a central bank digital currency, a move toward a central bank digital currency or a CBDC. You can search these things on your favorite search engine. I might recommend something like StartPage, which is a good private um, uh, non-information keeping uh, search engine. Uh, browsers like Brave are very good. Um, uh, these are helpful tools if you want to sort of, sort of start beginning to utilize um, other kinds of search tools and web browsers and that kind of thing uh, in the days ahead, which I would recommend. Uh, so anyway, so that, that brings us to the end of what I wanted to talk about today. And, and let me just want, throw out there again why it is we do these things. Uh, we talk about these things because it's good for us as believers to be informed about the days in which we live. Uh, the Bible spoke a lot about what would be going on in, uh, in, prophetically in regard to Christ's first coming. And the Bible gives us lots of indications as to what's going to be going on leading up to his second coming. 
And I would argue that in the same way that he held them responsible to recognize the signs of his first coming, we also should be recognizing the signs of his second coming. I just think that's just wise as believers. As we read our Bibles and as we look at what's going on around us, it is just wise to pay attention to these things. Um, Secondly, because if we are paying attention to these things, then we're recognizing that uh, time is growing short, and that should cause us to respond accordingly. Uh, And that doesn't mean sitting back and doing nothing, because after all, the world's going to end. No, we should never take that mindset. If you knew Jesus was coming, and by the way, I, I haven't spoken about the rapture in this discussion. I'm going to just throw it out there now that if if those things that we're describing are coming and the Antichrist is coming, a global system is coming, and all of this second coming of Christ is coming, the rapture is even sooner. And so I happen to believe that that is imminent. I believe that that could happen right now. Um, and one day I'll come up with some way to do that where I can just disappear on screen and just scare you all to death. So, But anyway, uh, but if we believe that Jesus could come for us at any moment— that should cause us to want to have our hands on the plow and be about his business when he comes for us. That is the natural response to somebody who is expecting to, as the bride to be swept off her feet by the bridegroom. Uh, no, what, what kind of a bride is not looking forward to with great anticipation or bridegroom coming for her, right? So that should be the natural response of the believer. And of course, in concert with that, thirdly, is it causes us to recognize that since the time is short, our time for working is coming to an end, which means that hand on the plow involves sharing our faith when we have opportunity. Um, when people are troubled by what's going on in the world around us, we can answer that intelligently. And uh, and again, without getting all you know worked up and s- sensationalized about it, we can begin to address people's concerns and even fears and help them to understand that there's in fact a God of hope who has given his son that we might be saved and be in right relationship so that no matter how much of this stuff we see and how much of our lives become uncomfortable because of these things unrolling, we know that we ultimately have a home that is not here. So this becomes a great opportunity for the church, which is why I often say eschatology matters. Uh, uh, an eschatology, which I believe is not just hopeful, but is strictly speaking biblical. Uh, that biblical hope is something that we want to be able to share with people. It, it is the answer uh, ultimately to the fears and concerns that people have about the world around them. But it ultimately, and even more importantly, is the answer to the conundrum of their sin. That which is left undealt with will ultimately cost them for an eternity, but rather instead, to put your hope in in the finished work of Christ means to be saved from that penalty. So we want to just encourage people to come and to know Christ, to receive the gospel. And now is the time, if there's ever been a time, now is the time for us to be about that work. So thanks for watching and listening. I uh, do appreciate that, and uh, and and uh, this is actually Wednesday before Thanksgiving, so it's likely I will probably not be posting again uh, until after Thanksgiving weekend. Um, but uh, but hopefully today's post gives you something to think about, something to chew on, and certainly if you have any questions or anything that rise out of this that you want to share, you can do so by commenting in the comment section below. Uh, you can also email me at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. Next week, I'm going to probably try and get to some of the uh, messages that have come in in the inbox. I apologize that I haven't gotten back to those a little sooner, but I'm going to try and address some of those things next week. Um, and uh, But for now, let me just say, Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a very wonderful and blessed Thanksgiving, uh, that you enjoy with family and friends, and that uh, you just have a wonderful celebration of God's goodness. So, um, But Father, we thank you. We praise you. We honor you. We bless you. We just give ourselves over to you afresh. We thank you for the hope and the, the beautiful uh, promises that we have to stand on that that, that remind us of the great hope that lies ahead for us. We know that this is not our home, and we just pray that you would inspire us as we study your word, as we consider the times in which we're living, 
to just move forward with our hands on the plow, to recognize that the time for going home is soon coming, and that these days matter, and that we can be about your business uh, for your sake and your glory, but also uh, for the benefit of those who are lost that need to come to know Christ, um, uh, for the encouragement of one another in our faith, uh, even as Paul would have said, to encourage one another with uh, so much of what he told the Thessalonians about eschatology, we want to encourage each other the same way. And Father, I pray for any uh, who might be watching this um, that don't know you, that have never come into a right relationship with you uh, through the finished work of Christ. Uh, I pray that they, in this moment, would recognize their sin and recognize that Jesus has come and has paid that debt once and for all, that he has taken all of our sin, past, present, and future, and died for it, paid for it, and took that debt upon himself at the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I just pray for those who are watching and hearing these things, that they would hear this thing most of all, that God so loved them that he gave his only begotten son, that if they would believe in him, they'd not perish, but have everlasting life. If that's you, I invite you to pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me, a sinner. I violated your law. I've rebelled against you. But I do believe, even as your word says, that you so love me, that you gave your only begotten Son, that if I would believe in him, I would not perish but have everlasting life. I believe in him. I put my trust in him today. And I do pray that you would help me to recognize the joy of knowing you day by day, walking free from the penalty of my sin and walking in loving relationship with you. I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit and that he would help me to live for you each day until I see you face to face. Thank you that when that day comes, I will no longer have to be afraid or ashamed, but can enter your presence, all because of what Jesus did in dying on the cross and rising from the dead for me. I love you and thank you, and I praise you for this good and gracious gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, there's nothing magical about those words. Really, my desire was just to give you the ability to express your desire to be in a right relationship with him, to receive that free gift of his grace and forgiveness. Um, and now that you're in the family of God, welcome. And uh, I do pray that you would take time now to spend time reading the word. If you need a, 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 a Bible, uh, we actually have a link to the Gideon's app uh, where you can link to and get uh, the Bible in your own language and you can read it or it can be read to you through the audio version um, uh, elements within that app. Um, and I would just strongly encourage you to find a good, solid Bible-believing church in your area so that you can be in fellowship with other believers who are growing in their faith just like you. So, uh, and of course, if we can be in any service, if you have questions or anything like that, you can always reach out to us again at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com or on our uh, comment section below here on our YouTube channel as well. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Again, have a very happy Thanksgiving. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace forever. Amen.